Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler, and today we are going to celebrate the year of movies in the year of 2023. Exciting times, and I am happy to bring in Mark Blitch, who uh, joined me last year uh, to take on this task. How are you doing, Mark? Doing great. Doing great. Thanks for having me again. I love it. Yeah. Uh, so I always like to front this as, unfortunately, we're, we're not privy to the screeners that come out <laughs> for award shows. And so a lot of the movies that have been making top 10 lists, uh, some have just not even come out in theaters or even in some of the streaming services. So I know there's a lot of films that I, I want to see, but I just haven't been able to see them yet. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. Um, I tried to do a mad dash since I knew that we were talking today. I kind of did a mad dash this weekend while I could. I still, I still haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, which is uh, I, I pretty much should reserve a spot for that in my top ten. And I hadn't seen the Holdovers or or Past Lives. No, 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 I'm not not Past Lives. I haven't seen the um, Poor Things. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'm with, I have seen Killers of Flower Moon, but yeah, the three others that you mentioned, I haven't seen those yet, even though I've been wanting to. So, um, so, and once again, I also, <laughs> you know, we're not privy to screeners and that sort of thing, but so I do my best to try to catch kind of, the, I get a sense of what the most talk about films are, but, um, 2023 for you kind of, a you know, you step back, take a big perspective of everything. Uh, do you think this was a good year for movies? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, usually you're, I'm going to be hard pressed to say it's a bad year for movies. Um, yeah. I mean, I saw, I saw a whole bunch. Um, I have noticed that like my, my top 10 has come more into form in the past month or so, which kind of shows that there wasn't maybe a whole lot worthy of a top 10, you know, too many before. Um, plus I just hadn't gotten around to seeing as many Oscar movies as I want. I usually just kind of watch whatever, you know, floats my boat at the moment. Um, I, I'm not as intentional as I should be, but no, it's, it's, it's a great year for movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I would agree as well. Kind of looking at my list. Um, now, I'm not someone who just likes to see everything. Like if I'm going to spend time watching a movie, I like to watch <laughs> things that are good. And so most of the movies that I've watched, I've generally liked and stuff. I would say when compiling this list, there wasn't as many just like, oh, super like five-star movies. But I feel like for this year, there's been a lot of great movies. Usually if I didn't give them five stars, if there was just a little nagging something that kept sure. me it kept me from that, but um, I think there were some very very solid films. And honestly, with the super uh, superhero genre dying, uh, it's kind of made a way for maybe more original content to take the spotlight. Yeah, and I think studios are taking note. I think especially this year, and especially maybe with the the writer strike and the actor strike, um, they've. They, they, you know, first of all, I think the I mean, I'm a huge MCU homer, but I can tell you my interest has waned. Not because there's a whole, you know, th there's too much, there's too much reliance on media that I haven't watched. Like the, I haven't seen all the you know MCU shows up to date, and this you know they haven't necessarily been very good. And and I and I do think they'll fix that. 
Um, although there is an MCU movie in my top 10, so I, I'm not going to say it's completely gone. But I think you look at like Oppenheimer and Barbie and you look at, um, you know, Killers of the Flower Moon, Napoleon, like, you know, people will go see these non, you know, action movie, you know, stuff that's a little bit harder uh, to, you know, it's hard to market. Like Oppenheimer made almost a billion dollars and yeah. it, it shows that people are craving for good content even it i can't believe i said content oh good (laughs) good films um yeah people are craving for it but i think people are just i think the audience is smarter than people give it credit for yeah yeah and that people are actually willing to sit for a long time in a movie theater (laughs) oh yeah yeah uh which uh, you know it's kind of one of those Honestly, I mean, I know there's always kind of metrics, and I do believe that like certain run times might attract certain people. But honestly, if a movie is just good and that word gets out, people are going to go see it. So, I mean, uh, I know even probably Barbie was a little bit longer for like a quote unquote comedy, but people weren't like, now, how long was that movie? They were going to see Barbie just because they heard it was good. You know, sure. so yeah, I think people will, I think people will show up. Uh, but yeah, I watched, uh, I was trying to look on Letterboxd. If anybody wants to follow me there, uh, my username is N Chandler. I like to log everything there. Uh, I've easily seen over 125 films this year, but my list is always kind of, uh, that list is always kind of a little weird because especially if you listen to this podcast, we've been doing the 50 best rom-com. So there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot yeah. of repeats and older movies in there. Yeah, that's that's kind of how my list is too. I think uh, I just finished a movie before we started talking, uh, which puts me at 190 for the Jeez. year. <laughs> um, that's not counting TV shows either. We'll get to that later. But yeah, and it, I I haven't been able to get to the theater as much as I've wanted to. So a lot of the times I'm just I'm either renting it or watching it over a couple days when I can, when the kids aren't doing something like we're in a very busy season, as they say. Um, but I'm still finding, still finding time. Yeah, definitely. The theater, a little harder to get to. Um, but now, uh, you know, some things, there's some movies that I wanted to see that just didn't get to see yet. Um, that, uh, they aren't just readily available on a streaming service yet. Um, you mentioned like past lives. That's not, you know, so, um, some of those type of even smaller movies, I've been surprised they haven't come out on a service as quickly as they used to. So I think they're starting to try to get those, uh, rental pure rentals uh, dollars yeah. in before they do that. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before we jump into this discussion, uh, just a little, uh, well, interweave. I asked uh, some of my uh, guests from this past year to submit uh, a clip from uh, talking a little bit about their favorite movie. So that'll be weaved in and out of this conversation. So that'll be uh, that'll be fun for the listeners to hear. So, um, well, we'll jump into it um, and start at number ten. Uh, do you want to go first, or you want me to go first? I can go first. Okay. Um, I will say I had about four movies that are kind of in my honorable mention that were in my top 10 at some point. Um, you know, I had, uh, a movie called significant other. It was actually, uh, it's a little, it was on paramount plus it was pretty solid, little solid, little, you know, couple goes camping and it just kind of starts, you just kind of zoom out and it gets, it gets really crazy. Mission impossible. 
I saw it after Indiana Jones, and I really just based it off of the train sequence. Like the train sequence in Dial of Destiny was so bad to me that you look at the Mission Impossible train <laughs> sequence where it's like, oh, they're actually on a train during the day. Uh, Talk to Me, which was the A24 horror uh-huh. movie, um, and then Missing, which was um, screen life movie uh, where it all takes place on the screen. Like that's where all the action is. Um, and I thought that was really fun. Anyway, so those were kind of my honorable mentions. Number okay. ten. Number ten is Godzilla minus one. Okay, I've heard I've heard a lot of talk about this film uh, recently. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's not connected to the to the monster verse. You know, not connected to Godzilla versus Kong. It's it's strictly a you know Japanese Toho movie, uh, and it's about this kamikaze pilot who. Uh, I don't want to say chickens out, but he abandons his post and lands on an island. And, you know, Godzilla kind of represents that, you know, it's a physical representation of, you know, the the guilt that he has. And, and then, it, you know, it follows him home. And it was just a really good, plus there's some pretty sweet Jaws references in it. And um, it's just a really, I saw it with my son. And I think it might be the first foreign movie he and I have ever seen in the theater. Okay. So, uh, but it was really good. Yeah. Is it it's subtitled? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm sure there's a dubbed version out there, but I'm kind of a, a purist to where I want to hear the actor's voice, the real actor's voice, not, yeah, not yeah. dubbed over. Yeah. I'm, uh, I'm in the same camp as you <laughs> with that. So yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a good pick. I, I was wondering, uh, you know, it's playing in a local movie theater here and that's one of those like with the winter break approaching, I'm like, is that maybe one I should try to go sneak off and see, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's really not Whitney's uh, type of movie. <laughs> no. And, and again, it's not, I'm not saying it's, um, I was just really surprised. Yeah, I did. I, I didn't. I didn't think that, you know, you don't really go see Godzilla movies for the human element as much. And every time they've tried to do that, they've failed. And so I was pleasantly surprised that that the the human element was the anchor of the movie. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Uh, my number ten. Uh, I, I would be surprised if he didn't see this. This seems kind of like a Mark Glitch movie, but it's uh, Air, uh, directed by Ben Affleck. I didn't see it. Huh. I did not see it. Oh, you didn't? Oh, I'm surprised. I should have. I should have. No, I, 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 I should have. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, just uh, probably not the best movie ever, but it, it really kind of felt like a uh, kind of a throwback. <laughs> to, uh, now, w- one thing about it is that, like, if if you have the backstory, it, this was a story that wasn't new to me necessarily. Uh, for uh, Whitney and Hallie, it, it was definitely for Hallie, uh, but it just if you like those kind of just rat-a-tat dialogue driven kind of dramatic heavy, I mean, obviously great performances uh, from Matt, uh, Matt Damon and Ben Affleck and some other people. It's been a little while since I, I mean, it was back in the spring <laughs> when it came out, right. uh, but um, not that it's like Jerry Maguire, but if you kind of like that vein of a movie, um, but yeah, uh, just kind of the, Backstory about how basically Nike became the juggernaut that it is now uh, by acquiring uh, Michael Jordan. Oh, Viola Davis is in it. Just some great performances. And, you know, really, it's one of those probably like, I don't think it's the greatest movie of all time, but just as a pure enjoyment, you know, it just it's like watching famous people who are really good at acting, <laughs> delivering lines in a great way. Um, and it, it was just a good entertaining snippet of a story. Uh, I've, I've regretted, I've regretted not, 
I've regretted not seeing it. Hi, I'm Whitney Chandler, wife of Nathan Chandler, your podcast host, and a frequent guest of the pod. And my, um, I had a lot of movies that I liked, but I guess I'm supposed to only name movies from this year. So, um, Air, I really liked Air, found it very fascinating. Um, but I also, I my number one movie has to be Barbie, loved Barbie. Um, loved everything that it stood for, and that's it. What's your number nine? Number nine is uh, No One Will Save You. It's the uh, Hulu original, I believe it's 20th Century Studios. Um, basically, it's, it's, it's Home Alone with aliens and no dialogue. So yeah. it's essentially a silent film. Um, you know, it was written and directed by the guy who directed Spontaneous. I'm not sure if you've ever seen that, but it's another, that's another really, really fun movie. And, and, um, yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about it. I think I'll have a couple other things to say about it, but I think it was, it doesn't necessarily stick the landing, but, um, Caitlin Dever, who's, who's the lead, uh, I always love nonverbal storytelling. And so just that her performance, which is all just driven by emotion and reaction and, and, um, and not really having to say anything plus with the visual storytelling of just moving the camera in a way that's, that's compelling. I, it, uh, it doesn't stick the landing, but all the, all the home invasion stuff is just so good. And it's a lot Mike. I watched it with my 14 year old and, and he's, flipping out during the whole thing and it's great. <laughs> and so, you know, and if you like signs, if you like, um, you know, quiet place that those kind of movies, it's, it's, it's in the same vein. Yeah. I really wanted to check that out. Just once again, kind of like the Godzilla minus one film, uh, a film. I just kind of heard a lot of people talking about my buddy, Kyle, who's been on this podcast before. Uh, he, he checked it out and he, uh, he liked it a lot and it was on my list of trying to, hopefully I was going to try to get to watch it before, <laughs> Before this podcast, I just didn't get to it, but it's still on my watch list, so I I definitely want to check it out. So I'll say, like even some of the films I hadn't seen that were on your last uh, list last year, I checked out, and I always was a better person for it. Yeah, because I have <laughs> incredible, impeccable taste. <laughs> right, exactly. So my number nine, I always have a movie on my list that I feel like, you know, I put it on the list, and if somebody checked it out, they would then decide to basically make sure I'm okay. Do I need to get, you know, just something that's really off the wall and strange, but it's a uh, Bo is afraid by Ari Aster who has a very, very warped mind. Did you see this movie? No, I, I actively stayed away from it. Not out of any reason other than it just, it just seems like a lot. It, it's, <laughs> it is a lot. And honestly, it's not, uh, I mean, I would probably pick his other films, uh, Midsommar and Hereditary, over this. <laughs> I don't know. It's a little hard. There's some things that don't work in this movie. It, it, it's three hours, and it's a three-hour slog of Joaquin Phoenix's character essentially get, getting tortured for the most part as far as like mentally. And if I just want to warn people, if you have any kind of mother issues at all <laughs> – <laughs> this movie will hit close to home. Uh, but so it's a movie full of like scenes that are really, really work. Like some of the, you know, 
most effective scenes I've ever seen. Then there's some that I I wasn't hanging with as much. It's not quite as uh, horror bent as his other movies are, even though there's some kind of horror elements to it. Yeah. Um, uh, but um, it's just it's just this inside look into this man's brain and it's just, it's a wild ride. It's a wild ride. And if anything, completely memorable. Um, so anyway, but that's, it's definitely, it's not one that I would recommend to everybody, (laughs) but definitely if you're a fan of his other films, I think it's definitely worth checking out. And, uh, walking Phoenix is amazing in it. Uh, so that's my number nine. Of course, and it's it's one of those where I, I think there there are some directors that um, kind of have those heat check movies, you know. Like I think Christopher Nolan's heat check movie was Tenet. It's like, hey, I'm just going to see how hot I am, and yeah. and and Bo is Afraid seemed like a heat check movie, yeah. and so um, I, you know, I even thought that Midsommar was his heat check movie. Uh, after Hereditary, because Heredi- <laughs> Hereditary is, is the basis in which I judge horror movies now. Yeah. It's kind of the baseline. Um, and so I've been kind of wanting him to go back to that. And so I think I saw a trailer and I'm like, I have a lot of friends that would probably love this. And it's just, yeah. If it falls in my lap and I watch it, great. But I wasn't just going to actively seek it. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I believe his film did not do very well in the theaters. And I think he did get a lot of money to make this movie. And it's one of those even after it's over, I was almost a little afraid. Like, I I don't know if they're going to trust him (laughs) with anything really much. It'll be interesting to see what he does next uh, for sure. I'm sure he kind of said like, oh, it's a comedy. It's not a horror film. And financiers were like, great. And then, uh, (laughs) you know, so, Yeah. yeah. Hi, this is Kyle Radford. I was a guest this past year on uh, Nate's Wedding Planner episode, and I did not enjoy that movie. But a movie I did like that came out this past year, I didn't see a lot of movies that were new releases, uh, to be honest. But one I did like that didn't get a lot of love was Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. It was just a fun adventure movie. Chris Pine was hilarious, and Michelle Rodriguez was great in it. Uh, Hugh Grant was having a lot of fun. Just a kind of a silly, goofy movie, and if you're someone who has ever played D&D, and had some cool callbacks to the game. So, uh, maybe not the best movie this year, but one that I really liked. All right, Nate, thanks for everything you do through this podcast. It's a lot of fun, and can't wait to hear the rest of the rom-com list in the upcoming year. Okay, uh, what's your number seven? Number eight. Oh, number eight. I'm sorry. Yeah. And it's fun. It's kind of sad that out of the four movies we've talked about, neither one of us had seen the others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know what that means. But um, number eight for me is John Wick Chapter Four. Okay. I am a John Wick Homer um, through and through. I think it's one of it's it's Mad Max levels of beauty. Um, I think it's stage so well it fully embraces like a looney tunes concept and i i don't have much to say other than just i love john wick movies it is very long didn't need to be that long um but again i also saw it with my 13 14 year old who's freaking out every every every, every you know every every great action scene and um yeah i'll be curious to see if they do any more but if, if this is kind of where it ends then i would say bravo on them yeah, yeah. I John Wick is just one of that series, one of those series I just uh, haven't 
jumped into. And now it's, it feels like it's like so far away from me. It's like they're already at four. Like there's, yeah. yeah especially hearing how long this fourth one was, but I heard, I heard great things about it. Did you, uh, were you able to watch, there was a, there's a spinoff, right? A TV show about yeah. the hotel. Yeah. I, um, I didn't, I don't think I subscribed to Peacock at yeah. the time. And so it's kind of just gone under the radar for me. Yeah. yeah. I'm not sure. It used to be like from the first movie, it's like, oh man, this world is really big. And they just kind of scratch the surface. Now it almost feels like so big that I don't know what else you can do other than again, like, like it does, it goes back in time. But I'm not sure if, if, if I'm not sure if the world needs expanding outside of Keanu. Yeah. In my mind. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't really hear much about it <laughs> after it came out. So not saying that it's not good. I just, I, I don't know anybody that checked it out. So yeah. Uh, my number eight film, I actually was able, uh, I really wanted to see it before this conversation and it did make my top 10 list, but it's, are you there God? It's me, Margaret, that, uh, based on the, you know, based off the Judy Bloom classic, which I, I haven't read before, but um, it just was uh, oh not. It's definitely not a movie like Air, but I would say very similar in the way of just like here's these characters, and it just puts them in scenes that are very true to life and very effective, and it just it probably doesn't help that I have a 13 year old daughter in the moment right now. So I felt like a lot of things that happened in this movie, which is set in the seventies, uh, actually reminds me of a lot of the things she's going through now, which is what I kind of liked about this film. It's like, you know, yes, there's a lot of things that change through different generations, but like, you know, everybody's gone through middle school and <laughs> knows what a struggle that can be. <laughs> and that doesn't change throughout, you know, everybody can relate to that. So it's just very much of a coming of age movie. That's very bold. Um, I would say very realistic, um, but just very touching. Uh, I really enjoyed it a lot. Oh yeah. No, we may be talking about that movie a little later too. Okay. Okay. Great. <laughs> Hi Nathan. I'm glad to talk to you about killers of flower moon. I really like the book. And so then I was not surprised how much I liked the movie. It was my favorite of the year. And the reason it was my favorite is because Lily Gladstone played Molly Burkhart and she brought a sort of magnetism and a warmth to the role that humanized and made it a very strong movie. Thank you. Okay, so what's your number seven film? Number seven is... uh... Creed three, uh, I can't help but not have a Rocky movie yeah. or a Creed movie <laughs> on my list. It's just, it's gonna happen. It's reserved. And I thought um, that was back when Jonathan Majors wasn't um, mm-hmm. super problematic at the time, <laughs> right. or at least publicly, because uh, he's fantastic. I remember just being fascinating, being fascinated by every choice that he made. Um, I thought Michael B. Jordan did a great job kind of carrying the torch. He, he, the only thing that, that is kind of a knock on is I didn't love how he kind of infused a different style in the Rocky fights, but I love the big swing. Uh, it definitely works thematically. Uh, you can definitely see his influence. And so I'm, I'm all for someone's, um, you know, I'm all for complete and total artistic control. So even if it doesn't, doesn't, 
always land with me. Mm-hmm. I I love that it um I love that he was able to do what he wanted with it and it didn't feel completely out of place. But that was my number one for a while. Um and then uh and then some other ones just kind of crept in there a little on top of it. Yeah. Uh I actually did see Creed three, even though I, I didn't see the second one. <laughs> but yeah. I, I, I didn't feel like I, I missed too too much uh from it. And so uh I really enjoyed it. Uh it was just a good sports movie. Um it's a little wrong to say that it felt kinda like I know where it was going because <laughs> I mean, if you've seen yeah. any Rocky or I, I just feel like the first Creed movie uh had a lot of surprise elements to me. Uh, yeah. This one, I wasn't so surprised at where it was going. Um, I, I actually love Michael B. Jordan. Uh, to me, his performance in the Creed Three uh, didn't stand out to me. I, I kind of wondered. It kind of felt to me almost like since he was in the director's chair, maybe <laughs> it was a little too much. I, I, I don't know, but um, yeah, I, I really thought the last scene, the last boxing match, was really innovative and to be really innovative in a boxing movie these days <laughs> is yeah. it's quite a challenge there's been a lot oh, yeah. of them so uh but yeah v- very entertaining movie uh, i liked it i enjoyed it i didn't see it in the theater i caught it on i don't know if it's still on prime video but that's where i saw it but, yeah yeah uh my number seven is the wes anderson film asteroid city that came out from the summer now i'll front it with like i probably need to watch it again. Uh, it, it's a, it, of course it's Wes Anderson. So, I mean, as soon as you see it, you know, it's his film, uh, yeah. but, but, uh, it's probably a little darker, uh, than a lot of his other movies, even though it could still get slotted into that comedy genre. Uh, it's, it, it's probably leans more drama actually. Um, it's, it's very dense, but there's, uh, there's a lot to take in. And, um, it was one of those, like, I didn't know how to feel about it, uh, after it was over. Uh, but it was a movie that stuck with me, especially the visuals of it. And, um, it's a really kind of a commentary on, uh, the way, uh, culture reacts to, I, I think he wrote this movie, uh, during the pandemic and it, it very much feels like that, or just like how as a society we, uh, react to certain things, but, uh, it's just a movie that stuck with me and that's kind of how I gauge movies that end up on my list. And so, um, I, I don't know if, if somebody hasn't seen a Wes Anderson film before, I don't know if this would be the first one I would show them, <laughs> right. but, but definitely right. once you've seen his other movies, uh, I, I think it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. I started asteroid city last night. And again, to preface, I, I, I think Wes Anderson is a genius. He is one of one, but really I don't, I just don't enjoy watching his movies. Um, fully appreciate that he's a genius and, you know, again, one of a kind. And Grand Budapest Hotel is probably my favorite of his, you know, mainly because of Ray Fiennes. But there's something that I, I discovered, I think it was even this morning, I was thinking about why don't I like Wes Anderson movies? Yeah. And I think it's because I'm not a details person. I'm kind of a big picture. Yeah. And literally just, you know, even from a filmmaker's perspective, like I don't, I don't have the ability to, to be that precise. And I think that his precision gives me anxiety. 
<laughs> if that makes sense. Because <laughs> yeah. everything is intentional and perfect and framed, like it's flawless, and I just can't handle it. <laughs> and so, and I, I want to keep watching it, but I remember thinking, like, I honestly was getting not a panic attack, but I was watching it and I'm like, I can't watch this. I can't. It's so, it's so perfect in every, <laughs> it, it's so intentional to where I was just, I was like, I, I need to watch something not like this. Yeah. And, and I, I know it's a, it's a flaw that's deep within me and it's, it's a hundred percent my problem. Yeah. But I think I did crack the case on why I don't <laughs> love Wes Anderson movies. Yeah. You know, it's a movie and it kind of has similar themes to other movies that have come out this year and that are on my list, uh, dealing with truth and trust. Uh, that seems to be a big theme of movies that have come out this year. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, we'll touch on it. Uh, kind of what, but Killers of the Flower Moon definitely touches on that of just like how we framed history. Uh, some other movies on my list, and so I, I don't know. I, I just think that themes really uh, stuck with me uh, with it, especially as this playwright is like right. You know, you're essentially seeing the play Asteroid City, but it kind of flips back and forth between a stage play and what you're seeing on screen. Uh, yeah, it's it's very heady. <laughs> so. Yeah. Hey, this is Charles Mills from itsjustawesome.com, and I did the Movies Are Life episode where Nathan and I discussed Oppenheimer. And so when uh, Nathan asked me what my favorite movie of the year is, you know, that one immediately came to mind. But um, I wanted to throw a little bit of a curveball here because I, at the time I hadn't seen Barbie. I've seen Barbie now. I really like Barbie. But that's not even my curveball. My curveball is that I really enjoyed... Godzilla minus one. And I'm calling it a curveball because I just don't think that many people have picked it as their best picture of the year. I think they've slept on this one a little bit. The critics love it, and I know it was pretty popular. I think they're kind of expanding its release. I just don't think people expect a Godzilla movie to be like this, but I just really thought it should be included on this list, if for no other reason than no one else will include it on theirs. And I think the fact that we had an event like Barbenheimer or however you want to say it and we had a movie about the making of the atomic bomb and then we had a Godzilla movie that takes place not just a few years after World War II but at the tail end of it I think those movies in the same year mixed in with this Barbie they're all kind of intertwined I think they will all be nominated for best picture at the Oscars but I loved Godzilla minus one what's your number six Number six uh, is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Okay. Um, wonderful. I'll, yeah, go I'll go ahead and say it's my number four. So, yeah. Great. So we'll be able to talk about it. Like, the thing is, it, it, it was number two for a really long time for yeah. me. But then I, as the year came along, I never revisited it. And so it kind of yeah fell back a little bit. And it's also, weirdly enough... I kind of get the same anxiety watching those movies as I do a Wes Anderson movie, but I think the pace is so frenetic. My brain's able to kind of get distracted by it or, yeah. or not, not, not focus so much on that. But, um, I love a good old fashioned cliffhanger ending that, that, um, movies just don't feel like they do anymore. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it still feels like a complete story and I love everything about each multiverse, I, I love every version of Spider-Man. I think it's it's just one of those where these people are just smarter than you and they're more talented than you. Now yeah. you, then you hear that they kind of work the animators to death, so you kind of feel bad about that. But <laughs> um, 
absolutely just stunning work. Yeah. I, I, I have two questions to ask you uh, going off of that. Uh, one, oh, this wasn't a question, but kind of a thought. I, I completely understand because when I, I saw it in the theater and there's so much going on as someone we're in similar fields as far as I, almost, almost every frame. And it's no lie to say almost every frame. I was just thinking about the manpower that took to like conceptualize, to execute. But then the movie's going so fast, you can't process that. Now, if you're someone like us, uh, the opposite of us, who's just going in to see a movie, I couldn't help but think about that person going like, I mean, sensory overload, (laughs) like crazy. Uh, But it's impressive. But also it's just like, uh, yeah, it's almost like so much to digest. But I mean, that's what I do like about it for sure. But yeah. Um, and then the second uh, question I had. So you saw it in the theater? Yeah. Okay. Uh, so did you did you know of the cliffhanger moment? Um, I knew that it was part one initially. Because originally it was going to be okay. like acro- Across the Spider-Verse part one and a part two. And I think, I forgot what the third one's going to be called. Um, uh yeah, I forgot what the third one's going to what they changed the yeah, third one to yeah. be. And so I was expecting, I remember thinking like, oh man, this movie's getting long and there's really no resolution. This thing's going to have to wrap up pretty quick. Yeah, they and, did. <laughs> and, then, and, then it, and then it just ended. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times I'll watch a lot of these movies kind of with my kids or, you know, the ones that are kid appropriate. Obviously, I'm not taking, you know, my 11 year old to, you know, John Wick chapter four. I'll take my 14 year old. But um, anyway. Immediately after it's done, my my eleven year old's like, I want the second part now. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I and I think it's so hard to deliver a movie that kids just love, um, to where they elicit that kind of reaction as opposed to, oh, that was good. Yeah. It was. It was no. It was. I want to see what happens next. Now. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh. So my number six. Now I'll say my number six and number five. It's one of those, it could have, they both could easily be like number one or number two. Uh, but my number six is Oppenheimer. Uh, I, I thought it was a fantastic movie. It's one of those I kind of talked about earlier at the recording of this podcast. It was just, uh, there were just some certain things, uh, especially the third act that didn't necessarily work for me. Uh, but it, it's hard because I do think this Oppenheimer is a movie that's just, I mean, completely defines this year. And I thought it was just fantastic. I thought the fact that people, and yes, I, I do think it was part of the Barbie uh, phenomenon that drove people and, you know, Barbie Heimer and all that. But it almost pleased me that so many people were watching this movie <laughs> when yeah. it was happening uh, just because of the subject matter. But um, I, I just, I found it fascinating. I think the moral quandaries that are presented, um, were fascinating. It was just one of those, the third act, even though I thought it was effective, wasn't as effective as the first two acts. Um, sure. And so it, it almost felt like a different movie uh, for me, even though probably in hindsight, I can kind of see a little bit, it, it just became more, it, all of a sudden it felt like a Perry Mason detective sure. movie a little bit. Uh, but um, I mean, fantastic. Uh, some very like memorable, memorable scenes, great acting all around. Uh, it, I, I'm really glad Nolan kind of went into this territory. Uh, I think it was definitely needed, uh, especially after Tenet. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Hi, I'm Sharon Davies. I was on the uh, cinematic masterpiece Clueless 
episode. Um, my favorite two movies of the year were the Barbie movie, which I expected to be very light and fluffy and ended up uh, making me feel seen as a mother and a woman. And the Taylor Swift heiress tour because, I mean, where else could you sit for three hours and um, pretend like you were in an arena that you couldn't ever get tickets to? So those were my favorite two of the year. Your number five. My number five was Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. Okay. <laughs> I, I watched it fairly recently. I watched it yesterday. Um, and I was I was depressed after <laughs> a disappointing fantasy football weekend, mm. uh, as well as a disappointing Cowboys game. Yeah. And I was very, I was not feeling it. And my wife got home, uh, you know, around nine o'clock. And I'm like, let's watch this. And immediately just just fell in love with it and and it's i'm a i'm a sucker for good coming of age movies yeah um i thought the casting of the kids was perfect everyone was believable everyone you know they didn't you know cast like you know 16 year olds as as 11 year olds right these, these these kids felt like kids and you know the 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 you know the director did edge of 17 which i loved and that's I a good movie she, she did um, such a great job, and Rachel McAdams, I feel like, deserves a nomination. She won't get it, I don't think, but I just she's perfect. Benny Safdie, who knew he had all? <laughs> I mean, he, like he's got like that dude's turning into Taika Waititi with how yeah. many times that he shows up on TV and, and movies now. Just every prayer I thought was genuine. It uh -huh. reminds me. It reminds me a lot of the Black Phone from last year, where. Uh, the little girl says, "Jesus, what the f?" <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 there's just a lot to pull from it on how 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 you parent religion with your kids. How do you yeah. talk about religion with your kids? And you know, I have two boys, but there's still plenty of you know. And I, I think it was what was really striking was just to hear them talk about everything. Yeah, that you're not used to eleven year old girls talking about like. Like they, they, they addressed everything. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, um, you know, and, and, you know, my wife was like, oh, it was a little bit different that because, you know, my wife wasn't 11 in the seventies, but <laughs> I, I just, I just loved every second of it. It was so genuine. And a lot, the hard thing about my lists is usually that I want to be objective and I want to be, you know, I want to have enough credibility to, put the movies that need to be in the top 10, you know, like, like your Oppenheimers and your killers of the flower moon, but also I'm a, I'm a big feeler. And so I like, if you, if you make me feel, you know, Moulin Rouge is in my top 10 of all time. You know, it's not, it's just big emotion. It's big emotion. It's big. And, and, and it's, and it's just a movie about being nice and, and, and navigating all these really tough stuff. And, and honestly, I just, if you can get me bought in, emotionally it's going to be in my top 10 probably. Yeah. Yeah, no, I can, I completely agree. Yeah. I framed it as it just perfectly captures that moment in life when you're dealing with such, you know, not just your changing body, but just your, you know, how do I think about religion? How do I think about these things? But you're also not old enough to buy your own underwear in a department store. Yeah. <laughs> it just, and it balances those two things just perfectly. And I just, I, I truly saw why it was such, you know, it's such a beloved novel. Yeah. And I, and I had no idea. I hadn't read it and I, I, 
But I remember thinking, I don't think that, you know, they approached, you know, puberty and all the, and boys and, and, and all this other stuff with such a tender, non-gross, like, they treat it with a lot of care. And they treat it like these kids are kids. There's no hidden motives behind it. It's just kids navigating kid stuff. And and there's so many ways this movie could have gone wrong. Mm-hmm. And and luckily, I, you know, I haven't read the book, but I, I imagine the source material is pretty faithful. Um, it was pretty faithful to the source material, and I just, it just, I just fell in love with it. Yeah, yeah. Ah, oh, that reminds me. You, you're saying Edge of Edge of Seventeen. I need to watch that movie again. I remember really liking that movie. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was great. Yeah. Uh, my number five. Uh, we've talked about. A little bit. Uh, you haven't seen it yet, but it is Killers of the Flower Moon. And it almost kills me because – and we, we had a podcast episode where we talked about the movie. <laughs> it's almost really one scene and one particular actor that keeps it from a five-star movie for me. Yeah. <laughs> but it's is – it, Is it Scorsese showing up? You know, no, it's not. Or is it Brendan Fraser? It's Brendan Fraser, yeah, okay. for sure. So, okay. And I like Brendan Fraser. It was just – uh, and I saw Scorsese defending his performance, but you know, yeah. It, yeah, it just completely. If there was like a moment of like uh, moments that take you out of a film completely, uh, Brendan Fraser's performance in this thing does it. But uh, is it like is it like Foghorn Leghorn stepping into a legal drama? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've heard about it. I've yeah. heard about it. I'm really excited to to see it now. Yeah, uh, but. Um, because I think it's actually a movie. The more I think about it, it's just it. I, I've and especially listened to other people's commentary about it. I it's just it's a wonderful it's a wonderful film. I mean, people can check out our episode where we talked about it a little bit. But um, I just a very important movie. Uh, you know, yes, yeah, so kind of uh, you know living in Oklahoma, <laughs> kind of connected to it a little bit more. Uh, but um, I mean, Scorsese. I mean, the fact that he's at the age he is. And he is just, you know, still <laughs> knocking movies like out of the park and with amazing performances as well. Uh, DiCaprio is great in it. Lily Gladstone. I, I think Robert De Niro, uh, not a ton of people are talking about him. He's excellent in it. Not that that's not a surprise, but I mean, he's so good in it. Uh, so um, I think you can rent it now. It should be on Apple TV Plus soon. So if you're subscribed to that, but definitely a movie people should check out. Hey, this is Ty Chandler. Uh, Nathan and I on the podcast discussed The Birds. One of my favorite movies for 23 was the Mission Impossible movie. Uh, kind of a no-brainer. Uh, good entertainment. Seen a lot of trailers on how they made some of the stunts. So it caught my interest before I was even there. So I already said my number four, which was Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Uh, what's your number four? Number four is May-December. Oh, great. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, well, I usually it's my number three. So it, we, okay, it, okay, so we yeah, can talk about it. yeah, 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 yeah. We can yeah. talk about it. So it's literally a movie we finished uh, Saturday night. Uh, we're recording this uh, on a Monday, so yeah. Now it is just. I remember I watched it. It was it, I watched it on a plane, so I had to hide the the iPad. You know when she visited the uh, the the feed store or or, or the pet store. <laughs> um, but um, I watched it not really knowing, like, honestly, the way it was marketed just on Twitter was just usually you just saw, you saw Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore, like, 
in, you know, looking at a mirror together. Right. And so I thought it, and it was Todd Haynes. Uh, and so I'm like, oh, this is some, this is a lesbian drama. <laughs> and, and, uh, and then people kind of start bringing up Mary, I think it was Mary Kate Letourneau, the seventh grade, you know, the, the seventh grade teacher who dated one of her students. And I'm like, oh, this is a much different movie than, than I thought it was going to be. And it's one of those movies that as far as like establishing a tone, there is a fine line that Todd Haynes walks with. Is this a comedy? Is this a thriller? Mm-hmm. Is it campy? Or is this like a, a, you know, a memoir or a, you know, a tale of abuse. And so, cause I remember laughing a whole bunch, you know, with, with Julianne Moore asking, you know, saying that they're out of hot dogs, her crying whenever her, the neighbor moved away and she took it so personally, <laughs> even though the, the neighbor was going to go take care of like a dying relative. Like he, she somehow made it about her. And, and then Charles Milton, um, who might just win the Oscar. Um, you know, he basically plays, he, he plays the, uh, you know, the, the, he was 13 year old whenever, she, you know, he got me, he had an affair with this older woman, his teacher. And, uh, he's 13 in the whole movie. I yeah. feel like he's a 13 year old who has not, he's a 36 or 37 year old who has not matured right in over 20 years. And, there are these these moments that he has where he's going up against Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, and then he's by himself watching his daughter graduate. And I'm like this, and I, and I remember seeing him in one of my uh, top shows from the year. He was in Poker Face, okay, and never really thought of him as like a heavy hitter. Yeah, and and then he just blew me away. And it's a wonderful critique on method acting. Yeah, it, it, and uh, and how I think Natalie Portman said this in her Actors on Actors thing where she's. They're asking the question is, if you're presenting something as entertainment, are you somehow complicit? Are you endorsing it? Not necessarily endorsing the act, but you're endorsing the sensationalism of it all. Yeah. I I think May, December, uh, it, it probably could uh, be have its own episode uh, devoted to it. Uh, yes. I, I totally agree with you uh, on his performance. I think Natalie Portman and Julianna Moore, they're also amazing in this. I almost think because of their pedigree, they might steal the limelight for, man, he's doing some amazing stuff in this. A very quiet performance, but so layered. And so this movie ended, and when it ended, I was kind of like, huh. Yeah. And 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 Whitney finished it a little bit later uh, after I did. And then, uh, so yesterday we're hanging out and it literally was like, we were doing, we were getting ready for a Christmas party. <laughs> we kept on going like, you know, uh, when this scene happened, like it was a movie we kept talking about yeah. throughout the day. And, yeah. and, um, I think it's this movie, um, I don't know if it'll ever get lumped into, you know, there's always a category of the movies about the movies. Uh, I really think this movie is secretly one of the, these movies because what uh, Todd Haynes is doing here, he he's completely messes with your, you know, we watch a film about Ray Charles or, you know, any fill in the blank celebrity. Yeah. And even as someone who I, you know, I watch movies, I, I still can get, totally get wrapped up into something like Elvis, even though I, there's a lot of artistic liberties, but still there's something that we come out of a movie going, I know everything about Elvis now. Oh, right. Yeah. You know? And so this movie is completely saying, you know, we see these like date lines, we see 
you know, these documentaries, and we feel like we know everything about the subject. Uh, even in this case, you know, you would see Gracie and her family, and you're like, oh, can you believe Gracie? But Natalie Portman's character, you know, she, she just thinks she has it figured out, figured it all out. And the fact that it's just a, such a criticism on, you know, uh, just truth and like we just never truly understand people you know natalie portman's character thinks because she lives basically with his family for three weeks she understands the truth of who these people are and then you know kind of at the end i think that last scene um is just like it's such a epitome of like yeah she has like no clue but you know she she didn't really get into the bottom of anything really and so yeah um it's, it's just in the the roles we play i just uh I I thought it was pretty fascinating and just a movie. And you were talking about the tone, you know, Whitney kept on talking, especially with the uh, soundtrack, you know, you kept on thinking it was going to go into this like lifetime, like killer aspect. And it goes in these territories that it never does. And it also leaves a lot of holes open where you're like, wait, I, you know, I don't understand like, who's he texting, you know? But like, I think that's the whole point of the movie is that like, yeah, you, you know, you won't truly, you truly don't know what people are going through, you know, yeah. uh, especially from a media perspective. So, yeah. Well, and I, I think my favorite, my favorite part is whenever she's like, man, all these boys, you know, they, they, they look 13, they're at 30, but they're kind of missing that sex appeal. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm like, guarantee that conversation has happened at some point in yeah. Hollywood. Yeah. And, and um, just the disconnect that these Hollywood people think that they can tap into this, this, the nuances of, and again, there's not a whole lot of nuance. It was abuse and it was, and, mm-hmm. and it was, and, and uh, I'm not sure if you've seen it, but they, there was a, I saw it on TikTok. There's other where they have the Mary Kate Letourneau and her husband now, um, they're doing an interview on who's the boss. Okay, well, who is the boss? And he, the, the kid was like, I mean, I didn't know any better back then. What do you mean? Who's the boss? And then it cuts to a May-December scene where <laughs> where Julianne Moore's like, who was in charge? But who was in charge? But who was in charge? I was 13 years old. Yeah, but you, was, you seduced me. I was 13 years old. And there's something so ridiculous about it. And and honestly, I just, it's a movie that one of the, like, I just kind of, can't stop thinking about yeah and uh i haven't got my wife to watch it yet but uh man it's just it's just so good and <laughs> it very well may creep up the list before before the years yeah so. yeah it might get, gain some momentum especially being on netflix right away yeah hi this is todd ferguson i was on the dear evan hansen the menu and the love actually episodes So my favorite movie of 2023 was, oddly enough, Barbie. I have no emotional connection or any nostalgia for the toy. I didn't play with it when I was growing up. So that was not a component there for me. Um, But I found it a really compelling movie. Um, I thought first it was artistically, visually really intriguing. I thought it was just a beautiful movie. Um, Second, I thought it did two competing things really well. Um, It celebrated this toy that was really meaningful for a lot of people and a toy that tries to empower girls, Um, but it also criticized the toy 
And I thought the writers and director um, did a great job of threading that needle carefully. Um, and then third, I'm a sociology professor. And so I often teach courses in social theory. And this was a remarkable movie to demonstrate a lot of the theories that I teach. And one in particular is Simone de Beauvoir's theory of the woman as other. And it taught this theory better than I could, than I could lecture it any day. So I'm definitely going to use it next spring when I teach my course. So yeah, um, so my favorite movie this year was Barbie. Thanks. So that was my number three. And sorry, I keep cutting you off with mine. So what's your number three? <laughs> my, my number three is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. I that's, know That's the one I thought you were going to mention. Yeah. Yeah. And and it, it, there's, again, it doesn't have to make sense. One, I'm a James Gunn homer. I think he's a fantastic storyteller. I think he's going to do great with Superman. Um, me and my family, we watched all three. We watched all two before seeing it. Um. And it was just one of those moments where there's just nothing that would have made me not like it. Like I, I felt like it was, it just, it didn't stand a chance. It was, it was my number one for a really, really long time. And it, it was never not going to be on the list. That's I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I just felt like it hit every emotional beat. And again, uh, for some people who don't connect with guardians at all, I understand why yeah. it may not be very high on their list, but for me, I've been in, I, I've loved these characters for, you know, almost a decade or maybe a little bit less. But uh, so to see it, to see it land the plane so well for me and so emotionally satisfying, um, I, you know, the last five minutes I feel like moved me more than most, most yeah. movies. Yeah, yeah, and. And I was with my family and with my kids, and we were all kind of crying together. And so you can't really, you can't really quantify or blame me for that either. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Actually, I would never probably uh, like I've seen some Marvel stuff, uh, not as much as you have, but I got to see this in the theater. Actually, in my hometown, uh, with one of my best friends, Abel, and Abel is a big Marvel guy, and he definitely connected it to, connected to the movie more than I did, uh, just because I didn't see the second one, but. Yeah. Um, but I, I I was very entertained. I was very surprised. Uh, and so especially because I've caught some Marvel stuff here and there, the TV shows. So my expectations were pretty low. And yeah. and so it's definitely – it's probably been the highlight. I mean, would it be fair to say since uh, Endgame, probably the best thing to come out after that? Yeah, Maybe, either, or that, Spider either that Spider-Man movie. Yeah, either that or No Way Home yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely uh, – I mean, I, I do feel like if you're not completely entrenched on the storylines and everything, I think it's a movie you could still watch and completely uh, enjoy. Like, yeah, it's funny, action, all the good, all the good things. I, I think it, it also may signify like the end for me, as far as yeah. this is kind of it's it kind of closes the book on on the Infinity Saga a little bit more, even though they've been pushing a lot of other stuff and I like all the other ones for the most part, but they just don't, they, they, they just don't, they don't touch it. Yeah. They don't touch. Yeah. yeah. And it was very much, uh, it was almost like a, and there's been a lot of television shows that have ended their run. It, it very much ends very similar to one of those where you're like, 
All right. I, I, I am satisfied that this is, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, very, very good ending. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. yeah. Hey, Nathan, this is Jennifer Graham, and I was on the podcast with you when you interviewed us about Killers of the Flower Moon and I think the Barbie movie also. But I have to say, my favorite movie this year, I really believe, was Bar- is Barbie because I grew up playing with Barbie. I had the very first Barbie in the black and white bathing suit. Whew. And I really like Ryan Gosling. He's my favorite actor ever since Lars and the Real Girl. And I want you to know, I, I've been a little disappointed that I haven't been interviewed about Lars and the Real Girl, because that is the best movie of life. I liked Barbie because I liked how it touched on the, the women's issues. I love the humor of the director, Greta whatever her last name is. <laughs> <laughs> and I just liked everything about it. I like the music, the dancing, the fun, everything. Thanks for having these podcasts. So what's your number two? Number two is Past Lives. Okay. Um, I so want to see it. I just I uh, know. Yeah. It's so good. And uh, I watched it with my wife. Uh, and it's a... You know, it's an A24 movie that's not demonic, that for one. Uh, and but so you're kind of thinking, oh, there's an A24. I wonder, I wonder what the the demonic twist is going to be in this one. Um, but it is uh, it is just a bittersweet romance drama, and it is it's about these. You know, it starts off with these two Korean kids. You know, they're you know 11, 12, 13 years old. The girl moves away. Uh, and you know, it's kind of a childhood crush and then she kind of grows up, they reconnect, you know, 12 years later through Skype, but never in person. And then 12 years later, she's married. He comes, the, you know, the, the childhood sweetheart comes to, um, you know, comes to New York to visit. And so it's, it, it kind of fulfills that in a very sweet, mature way, all those, Wondering thoughts on what if we reconnected with the people we had crushes on growing up mm-hmm. and, and, and what kind of closure can you get out, um, outside of just you know, having an affair with that person? You know, th- this movie's not interested in that. This movie's very interested on, there's a, I, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right, but there's this thing called, I think, I think it's called like Inyong and it's basically past lives. Like if you, if you brush up, against somebody there's 8,000 levels of inyong between those two people, meaning that they had a connection in a previous life. And so there's just a lot of like, it wouldn't have worked with two American people. Like it had like, it like be, just with the, because you, it would have just gone to probably sex, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you know? And, and um, they, they treat all, there's three main characters. There's the main girl, um, then the, you know, her childhood sweetheart who's, who's, um, who's Korean and then the, the main girl's husband and they treat every character with such care and concern. And there's not like, I don't know if there's true conflict in the movie or not. Like there is natural or relational conflict, yeah but there's nothing, you know, this husband could have really, you know, for, for 
you've seen this movie before. Like there's one scene I won't, I, it's not really ruining anything to you, but she's, you know, she's, uh, she meets up with her, um, with her childhood friend. They just kind of walk around New York. The director told the actors, you do not touch at all during those times. So it kind of, huh. there's a little bit of natural relational and physical tension there, but they never look at each other lustfully, but you kind of, you know, they end their evening and the girl goes home and her husband is playing video games with headphones on sitting <laughs> on the couch. Yeah. And so your, your brain is telling you, Oh, that's the lazy good for nothing husband. Mm-hmm. But then, but then this is even the trailer. They have a conversation at night where the husband's like, I know I'm the bad guy here. I know that I'm the one who's keeping you from this destiny. You know, and they're kind of playfully yeah, talking yeah. about it. But they address all of these potential conflicts pretty head on. And they do it in such a true relational way out of respect. There's not this toxic so it's not like a toxic Sophie's choice or there's not, there's just, it's just, there's something really pure about it. And I really want you to watch it. Okay. Um, but it's, I, it's one of those that kind of like May, December, I cannot stop thinking about. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I have to check it out. Um, yeah, it's been on my list. I have these podcast film podcasts I listen to and with certain movies, I keep them backlogged and I have like three or four on past lives <laughs> just yes. wait, waiting for me. It's a good reminder of like, you need to watch this movie. Uh, so my number two, you know, I, I'll be completely honest. Uh, May, December kept on like, I kind of reshuffled my order a couple of times. It, sure. it probably could actually take the number two spot, but uh, I, I'm just kind of going with it. But number two, I have the killer by David Fincher. Okay. Yeah. Did you see it? No, I want to, again, it's just, there's so yeah. many stupid movies. I can't watch them all. Yeah. And I don't have the time, but yeah. I heard it's uh, I heard it's 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 good. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. I would say probably for like a Fincher film, probably um, even though it, it definitely has its darkness, it's uh, it's probably one of the most entertaining movies of his in some while. It's not quite like as dark, gritty, like as like Gone Girl or, you know, Zodiac or something like that, even though it's dealing with this uh, assassin and the perspective uh, of, from him of basically uh, a hit gone wrong. Uh, but it it probably reminded me, it's not uh, completely like Fight Club, but it's the first time I felt like, oh, David Fincher can have fun. Uh, I I feel there's this dark comedic sense. And I think from just watching it and watching this guy's journey, it's, it's just a flat out entertaining movie. Like, Oh, this thing's gone wrong. How's he going to fix it? Completely entertaining from that perspective, the action scenes. uh, I kind of jokingly said on letterbox, I never thought I'd enjoy watching somebody dispose of trash as much as I did in this movie, you know, like how he, you know, basically, Every place he goes to, how he you know races his identity, uh, things like that. But I think it's also David Fincher is also given us uh, once again kind of this theme of like truth and perspective uh, that kind of runs throughout this year. We it's one of those where like I'm watching this movie and I'm totally wrapped up in what happens to we never hear his name, so he's just known as the killer. Uh, and it's just like you start rooting for him, but then you're like why am I rooting for this man? Uh, but also in it, 
I mean, he's clearly a professional, but he's also saying things, but then it contradicts, he contradicts himself and his actions. And it's kind of like, is this guy as good as he says he is? And, um, and I think it says, a, it's a commentary kind of almost like how we view action movies, uh, just almost like how May December is like, how do we view these stories about quote unquote real people? Uh, I, I so I, I just, I think from the, package with the entertainment aspect of it but also i think you know uh, fincher's definitely trying to say a lot about this movie and honestly probably how people have viewed his movies in the past but um anyway i i really enjoyed it it's i always like a david fincher film Uh, he's one of our best filmmakers out there but i would say as i kind of mentioned it's one of the first ones in a while where i'm like Oh, that was fun. <laughs> Which fun Fincher doesn't usually go together. No, no, he's he's got a pretty sick twisted. He's got a sick twisted sense of humor. Yeah, I, I did read something. I go like someone said that it, the killer is a lot like. Uh, have you ever played like the Hitman games? I haven't. No. Okay. Well, they're 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 basically saying that this is as if someone as if you're playing like these assassin games and you're just really new at it and you just make a whole bunch of mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's what yeah. it's one of those like I mean he he clearly is dedicated to his craft by his like practices but then you know it's just one of those like it, nothing ever really seems to go quite as planned even though it also does. Uh, so yeah, it does. You saying that it does kind of put you in that kind of role playing perspective of like, what would I do in this situation for sure? Yeah. So, yeah. Hi, I'm Hallie and I've been on no episodes cause I'm just cool like that. And <laughs> my favorite movie was Barbie cause it was funny. That's it. <laughs> What's your number one? Number one, it's boring. Um, number one, I have Oppenheimer. Okay. Um, it's not it was, boring. No, it's a boring, predictable answer. I, I think it's just, it's one of those that, so I, the first time I saw it, I kind of felt the same way you did. Um, I was like, I don't know who these names are that they're talking about in the last hour, you know, when you're, when you're, it's all back to depositions and, and, and uh, cross-examinations and stuff. And, I'm, and then I saw it again and I was able just to pick up on it a little bit more. And, I, and then I'm actually in the middle of a third time. And it's almost just like a, it's like a symphony. It, like it, it feels almost Sorkin-esque mm-hmm. in its dialogue. Uh, the way everything moves, the way everything's cut together, it's just very clear. It's not my favorite Nolan movie, but I think it's objectively his best. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I I can't argue with that. That's a, a almost like if Killers of the Flower Moon was uh, like. There's a lot of movies on this list that I just I can't you know I just can't argue with. So yeah, um, so my number one, <laughs> pretty predictable, and I, I think some people would roll their eyes, but it's Barbie, uh, and so okay. which is a surprise, uh, <laughs> but not a surprise, but you know it's gonna be get. It's easily going to become one of those, oh, yeah, remember when everybody was talking about Barbie? Uh, But it was almost more so I was just – the fact that this thing got pulled off and that Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, who wrote this movie together, uh, actually have so much to say. And honestly, as somebody – I consider myself progressive, but from my even male perspective, how this movie actually challenged – 
me on certain ways I just naturally think about things. But the, also the fact that it also made me laugh so hard <laughs> and yeah. uh, just completely creative. Um, I, I will admit it's probably for me, I think it's just the movie when I think back at 2023, Barbie's the movie. So I think that, cast, you know, kind of, it, it just owns this year. And I, I'm even like two of my buddies uh, texted me over the weekend, uh, Kyle and Mark, I'll just say their names, not my, Mark, Kyle and Abel, uh, because <laughs> I think it just got released on stream, streaming for Max, you know, and I think they liked it, but they're kind of like, ah, you know, I don't see, you know, the big deal. And I can kind of get that because it was definitely a moment of being in that full theater and just the, I, I just like the fact that something could be so commercial, but also have so much to say. And, and they even said like, I can't believe something this meta <laughs> got people talking so much, but that's what I loved about it. Um, yeah. And so, and I loved uh, Gerwig's, all her odes to, different styles of filmmaking and um you know it just i love comedies it made me laugh and it made me think and it's wonderful i, I wish the franchise just stopped at right here it's not yeah. unfortunately we're going to see spin-offs and all sorts of things but uh in this moment of time barbie is my number one movie of 2023 <laughs> hey you know it's it's um no it's it's it, it is a mirror. It, it is a cinema. Like I, I don't want to use this as hyperbole too much, but it is like a cinematic miracle. Like it should not have worked. Right. And, and that, that is, I have no problem with you having Barbie. Isn't so we have Barbenheimer. We have that <laughs> together. So we, we're, we're the movie cliche, Mark. We're the movie cliche. Um, no. And it's, what's so funny though, is that, you know, for a movie that celebrates womanhood and, and, uh, that 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 the man is getting the most credit with Gosling, getting most of the yeah, <laughs> getting most of it. It's just funny to me that uh, it, Gosling is getting more praise than than you know Margot Robbie, and I, and I love Margot Robbie. And, and to me, I think for me, the reason why I didn't like love 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 it is that I don't know. I, I felt like while it is a miracle, I think that um, I think Lego Movie did it just a little. Yeah, better. I can see that. Uh, I, yeah, but this is me. I did enjoy myself, and and um, I think it's worthy of. I'll okay. I don't think it should win a whole lot of Oscars, but I do think it needs to be acknowledged. Right. Yeah. Whether it's production design, cinematography, Robbie, uh, Gosling, um, you know, Greta, all that stuff. I think I think it's going to be represented well come Oscar time. Yeah. Hi there, this is Abel Cass. You might remember me from episode 16, Dear Evan Hansen, or 58, uh, While You Were Sleeping. I'm happy to say uh, I don't remember much of what I watched in 2023. <laughs> it's been quite a whirlwind year, uh, so it took me a while to think about it. But I have to say Across the Spider-Verse released this year, and I think I really do believe, as I said in While You Were Sleeping, episode 58, that uh, I think the trilogy is going to end up being the very best of the Spider-Man movies. Uh, so I encourage you to check that out if you haven't yet, all of it. And of course, looking forward to the third in the trilogy um, myself. I'm wishing everybody a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thanks so much, Nathan, for having me on the podcast this year.
this is going to be kind of a new little segment to this uh, annual show. Uh, this was I'm crediting you, Mark. This was a great idea. Uh, just a couple of little what would you say superlatives? I guess. Yeah. 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 So yeah, just uh, three quick little categories. Uh, and the first one you mentioned favorite male performance. Uh, so do you want me to tell you mine since you were the one that threw these out to me? Yeah, yeah, okay. sure. So uh, kind of on my short list, I had uh, Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer. Uh, I think it was a great, like, uh, I mean, the movie's basically all him. Uh, but very, like, it's a very understated performance. I mean, I'm sure there's, uh, you know, you always think about what's the clip they're going to show at the Oscars. You know? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it's going <laughs> right, to be. Right, yeah. Say. And so, you know, it's not that where in, like, you know, some late May, December, you could pick out, like, 20 different clips that they would pull. Uh, but uh, I thought it was amazing. I thought DiCaprio was wonderful in Killers of the Flower Moon. The fact that he sells you on him being gross is <laughs> like, I mean, it's DiCaprio, right? You know? Right. Uh, so, but I, I mentioned it earlier, but I have to give it to Joaquin Phoenix and Bo is Afraid because even though the, even, even if you watch the movie and you didn't like the movie, if you, you you can't help but watch it and go like, man, he just like I just felt for the guy like the whole time, just how much emotion he has to pour, pour through the performance. It, it's pretty outstanding. And I mean, he's he's lately definitely shined in other movies as well. But man, I mean, his dedication to this role of just oh, you feel for this guy so much and in his paranoia and oh, it. It's it's really amazing. So even if Bo is Afraid is a hard movie to go to just as far as the overall story, it's worth watching just for his performance. Man, it's hard to argue. It's hard to argue with Joaquin. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a safe answer, yeah. you coward. <laughs> well, and I heard, uh, even though I haven't seen it, I heard uh, he's really good in Napoleon this year as well. So, uh, I actually, th- I actually thought he slept walked through Napoleon. Oh, okay. <laughs> it might have been a, cho- it, it might have been a choice. Okay. I'm not, I'm not debating it. It was just, I remember I was talking with a buddy of mine. I'm like, I don't remember Philip Seymour Hoffman ever phoning in a performance. Oh, ever. Yeah. And unfair comparison, maybe not. But if you, if you're talking about two of the greatest actors that's ever lived, I, I, I was like, yeah, I just didn't. Yeah. Well, Napoleon just didn't land with me for me on other reasons, but yeah. Um, but yeah, no. Good, 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 good for you. I'm glad you said Bo, ver- Bo is afraid over Napoleon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're like, where is he going with this where one? Where is he going with this? <laughs> yeah. What about you? For me, man, I, you, you know, I was debating Killian, you know, but, but, you know, there are so many other great performances in Oppenheimer as well. Um, but I went with Charles, Mil- uh, Charles Milton. Yeah, yeah. From May, December. I think I was just so surprised by it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, yeah. And it, it feels weird that uh, I I picked that up on a movie I watched on a plane. Yeah, a lot, you're you're really distracted. But everything about him, I was. You just, you know, there's some people you just can't take your eyes off of. Yeah. And and I think that I remember thinking, oh man, Downey Jr. has some competition this year. Mm-hmm. And. And now I'm kind of more leaning like, no, it's kind of Milton's to lose at this point. Yeah. Um, he's been, he's been winning a whole bunch and argue, I remember watching it and I'm, I was thinking Julianne Moore is kind of in that, in that, um, rarefied air of, 
of Meryl Streep and, yeah. and even Daniel Day Lewis. Like there's just a she's so stinking great in that movie, and she is, but it wouldn't work without you know, they're seen they're seen, you know, in, in, in the bed as he's just saying, Why can't we talk about it? Yeah. You know, it's he was so game and they just played off each other so well. And so it was it was a tough, tough decision. But yeah. um I would say him. Yeah, uh, this is completely random, and it, it, it's probably a small element of the performance, but even clearly a really good-looking guy. And yes. Yeah, but the scene where he has his shirt off, and we see the little the little pooch of a belly that like most married middle-aged men have <laughs> who have children, and you know, I thought that even I know that's kind of weird, but that brought so much to the character too of like. He almost is like, yes, he's he's verging on that middle age, but it's almost like the the, the uh, beer belly is overtaking the kid almost. Yes. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because uh, I'm sure as soon as the movie wrapped, he got back to his uh, six pack abs. You know, so <laughs> oh sure, yeah. Um, okay, so you asked uh, for a favorite female performance. So we've talked about it a lot, but uh, I had Natalie Portman and Juliana Moore kind of as. Like yeah. definitely like them, but um, I had to ultimately go with Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, yeah, we talked about her performance in our podcast episode, but I mean, talk about it's funny you talk about um, <laughs> Charles Melton, uh, almost very similar performance, a very quiet performance. Almost you see so much of the character just in the eyes, um, and. Uh, You'll hear you'll hear her name a lot, but she, she's amazing in the movie. She she's my pick, and I mean also to go toe to toe with the likes of like DiCaprio and De Niro. Uh, I mean, she still she steals the movie. She's wonderful. Well, maybe yeah. Brendan Fraser steals the movie, but in the <laughs> in the wrong way. <laughs> uh, oh man, what's yours? Um, I I put Caitlin Dever for No One Will Save You. Yeah, um, just just. I wanted to be different yeah. to just to be different. Um, and I think it's so hard to carry a movie without talking. And I've been a huge fan of hers since short term 12 and just, I, again, it's just effortless and you almost forget. I think the screenwriter said he didn't mean to make a, a, a silent movie, so to speak without dialogue until he realized, Oh crap, this movie's practically dialogue free. And, um, you know, she's, she's, she's just game for anything. She kind of gets put through the ringer physically, emotionally, mm-hmm. and, and she's just great. And any, any excuse to, to show some love to, to Caitlin Dever is, is, uh, something I'll do. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good pick. Okay. And so I, I really like this category that she came up with, uh, which is favorite movie moment. Uh, so <laughs> I'm sure there's tons, but I came and sorry, it's my number one movie, but Barbie. But I won't ever hear the song Push by Matchbox 20 the same way again. <laughs> it's a great moment. Yeah. So uh, do, you, do you play guitar? I think every every white male tried to learn how to play the guitar <laughs> for at least maybe three yeah. months in college. Yeah. But no, I yeah. my fingers are double jointed. Yeah. Um, it's it's not. That's the excuse I'm using. Yeah. Um, I I would love to. It just I, it just I brought me not. it just brought me back to uh, 
just youth camp days and just, uh, you know, fires. And there was always that guy who had the guitar and he'd start playing and get everybody's attention. And then you just sit there going, you know, this is not that great as you think it yeah. is. <laughs> and he can only play one song. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. Um, I, I think that cut to him singing the song, then everybody singing the song and just what it transitions to. And even though it's a funny scene on the surface, it's also saying a lot about, you know, gender dynamics. And uh, anyway, that's, that's the one that came to mind, even though I, I like the, uh, I like the musical segment. I'm, I'm just Ken uh, as well, but uh, yeah. Um, that, that song just will ever. <laughs> and I heard uh, Rob Thomas, they seem to have a good spirit about how the song yeah, was they, used. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're good sports. They were good sports. They kind of yeah. had to be. Uh, I have an honorable mention, but before I, t- I want to make sure it's not yours, but w- what is yours? No, it, you can go ahead. Oh, I, I have to give love to the, just the, uh, testing of the bomb and Oppenheimer, that whole sequence. I mean, riveting because you know what the result's going to be, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you, you know, but still there's just like somehow Nolan, I mean, he's a master editor and, you know, uh, director. Uh, but I mean, it's cliche to say edge of your seat, but that whole sequence, I mean, you really are. And it's a testament to what everything that's happened before that, because you know, the stakes for every character that's part of that testing sequence. And, and so that that's really, once again, movie cliche, Barbenheimer. <laughs> but yeah, that, so what's your, what's your scene? Uh, uh, my, yeah. My, my runner up for movie moment was um, the dog days are over from Guardians oh, yeah, yeah. three. Yeah. Um, again, just everything built up to that moment. And I remember just, I think I might have been weeping at that point. Um, <laughs> But I would say my favorite movie moment, I think it might be the the gym scene in Oppenheimer whenever which with, with all the, the the people stomping. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, that's a the, good one. In the stairs. And uh I remember thinking like, oh, that's the whole and again, they set it up beforehand, but just the that to me and this is kind of where I have come around on Christopher Nolan movies a little bit is that his most emotional payoffs are not at the end, you know, interstellar. Mm -hmm. It's all about whenever he's watching his kids who have grown up. And then this is just, everything has been building up to this moment. And then to have it played, it's a scary scene. Yeah. And, and it's, it's chilling. And the way they achieve some of the effects, I was reading that they, the DP had a projector of the background and then they would he would wiggle the projector to give it that kind of oh wow uh, kind of disorienting like rumbling feeling, which I thought is such a brilliant practical way to do that. That with with Killian, I think if there if Killian his Oscar moment, I think will be processing that whole scene. I think yeah yeah and um and just everything from you know him stepping on a on a on a burnt corpse to seeing seeing the guy throw up outside like there's just it's just everything that he feared yeah and uh i think that moment for me is probably hard to say if it's my favorite but it's definitely what i the one that's lasted had the best impression on yeah and i i would also add to that tactfully done uh yeah this movie needed that element of us seeing what destruction could occur but, yes. you know, somebody could really lean heavy into that. Yeah. And it was just enough, but not too much. 
you got yes. you got the horror, but it was it didn't go over that edge of like grotesque or yeah. No. Yeah. No. We, we talked a lot about Wes Anderson. Maybe if you uh, you're not so much a big fan of his feature films, you might enjoy his shorts that are on Netflix. Yeah. But yeah. I, I didn't really know how to categorize them. Uh, yeah. And some are better than other, others, but these four short films uh, based on Royal Dolls adaptations, uh, I, I thought were fantastic. Uh, they were really, really fun. So um, that's a good way to kind of intake some Wes Anderson without being, you know, so overwhelmed. <laughs> uh, it's 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 my it's my problem. I recognize that. I, I understand that. I'm not. I want to be very clear. If Wes Anderson is listening, that. <laughs> I, I bow down before his genius. <laughs> um, and uh, t- terrific American Express uh, commercials as well. <laughs> Has he made those? I think that's why – there was some commercial where he featured himself. I think it was American Express. I can't remember. <laughs> so, yeah. I, pro- I probably <laughs> turned it off. Yeah. Uh, a couple of films that uh, I had written down that didn't quite make the cut. Um, alphabetical order uh, – not necessarily in order here, uh, how to blow up a pipeline, uh, which was a great, uh, kind of indie hit. Uh, it's on Hulu. So you can check that out. Uh, I enjoyed fair play, which is on Netflix, which is kind of a <laughs> erotic suspense thriller. Um, I, I thought that, I think I told you about that one, I think. Uh, but, uh, I think people should check that out. Uh, Flora and son, which is on Apple TV plus it's by the guy who created once, and sing ah, yes. and sing street see uh, sing street was one, like my number one so i'll have to check it out yeah yeah if you like that movie not probably not quite as good as sing street but still in that vein is it better than begin again uh it's been a long time since i've seen begin again so i can't make quite a fair assessment on is that. it smaller or does it feel like a studio movie like is it a little bit smaller it's like a little a, bit smaller okay yeah 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 um, and then Ride Lane, which you can also find on Hulu, and it's a British romantic comedy. Uh, okay. If you li- if you like rom coms, you should like Ride Lane. Uh, even though it probably had its faults, uh, Whitney and I really enjoyed Netflix's Untold series and the one on Johnny Football. Uh, okay, yeah, about Johnny Menzel. Um, it's one of those you kind of have to watch. It, you know, it is like it's the people telling their own story. So you kind of, kind of, yeah, but it kind of brought me back to a time and, uh, I thought it was really interesting. And then, um, also on Netflix, the documentary Wham, just about Wham and George Michael. And, uh, yeah, it nice little, just a nice little film. Uh, and it's mainly put together, uh, it's interview segments with Wham, but like no talking heads and it's all archival footage and, the way I think, even if you're not a Wham fan, I think the way you it's put together, you'd appreciate Mark just editing wise and stuff. But it'll make you realize how many of their songs, uh, like oh I know that song, oh I know that song, you know. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I th- I thought it was a great. If you like music docs, uh, really good uh, music doc there. So, so if if you're a Wham fan, that's an interesting. Yeah, are there Wham fans? <laughs> yes, there's a, everybody's everybody sings uh, "Last Christmas," you know, during this time. That's arguably the worst Christmas song. I love that song. Uh, worst Christmas songs, along with Mariah Carey and and then Paul McCartney's "Wonderful Christmas Time." Those are just that's that's blasphemy, Mark. <laughs> oh, it's not. I love those songs. Okay, well, that's fine. <laughs> Um, thanks for going on this uh, journey uh, through the, I, I think 
if anything, we've given people great recommendations. Uh, oh, yeah. And we had some overlap. No, no horror horror movies from you. I, I guess this is surprising. Yeah, no, no one will. No one will save you. I guess could technically yeah. count as a horror movie, but it's it's. I I was just as surprised uh, that I didn't have. It wasn't as horrific as as uh, as it usually is. Yeah. Well, um, as always, uh, check out moviesarelife.com uh, for all our episodes uh, and then the reviews to at least most of the movies on my list. I think all of them. Uh, and I'll eventually get some up with now that I know uh, some of the movies that Mark has talked about. <laughs> I'm going to have to check those out so you can check out those reviews. Um, so thank you so much, Mark, uh, for coming on. Uh, yeah. I, I really hope people listen to next week's episode because we will be taking on the task of ranking the top television shows of 2023. Can't wait. Can't wait. So uh, that'll be a, a great way to end the 2023 with Movies or Life <laughs> talking about TV, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, until then, uh, I guess I'll, I'll see you next week, Mark. Yep. Sounds good. All right. Later. Later.